Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 99 of the show, and it is another great episode for you. We have lots to get into, as usual. Great weekend in the football world, both college and the NFL. Of course, college football, we had rivalry weekend take place this past week. A lot of good games and some new playoff rankings to digest. And then the NFL, uh, we had a trio of, of games on Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll take a look at the standings update after week 12 course two standings updates in the NHL and the NBA and we do actually have a golf tournament to sneak in there too Uh, but we are going to change the format uh, of how we do the show we're going to start off with some football talk and uh, we are going to start off in college football and talk about uh, the week that was this past weekend was rivalry weekend as I mentioned across college football and it did not disappoint one bit uh, and just about every wild playoff scenario that could have happened, happened. We talked about a whole bunch of what-ifs last week and, and who would possibly make the playoffs. And uh, a lot of that stuff is is now kind of up in the air, so we'll get into that. But some games, rivalry games to highlight. Uh, South Carolina went to Clemson. Clemson was on a 40-game home winning streak, which I believe was the longest in in college football. Uh, longest active streak, and uh, the Gamecocks came out on top. It was their second top 10 win in a row after they torched Tennessee the week before, Uh, so that was a a great win for South Carolina. Oregon State scored 21 points in the fourth quarter to come back and beat Oregon, and uh, that was a great game. Texas A&M ended up beating LSU somehow after that horrendous season that they've had, and then, of course, the big one, Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, This one in the first half was close, and then uh, after halftime, second half, Ohio State State decided that uh, they were going to peace out and stop playing, and uh, Michigan ended up stomping Ohio State. Now, that game in particular had the most playoff implications, and uh, I talked about, you know, if Michigan won, that Ohio State still had a chance potentially to make the playoffs. Uh, and if, if Ohio State won, then Michigan was probably all but eliminated. Well, of course, Michigan won, uh, which opened the door for a lot more drama now uh, because Michigan went into Columbus and absolutely beat the tar out of the Buckeyes, all but securing their spot in the college football playoff. Now, that win by Michigan, it was their first win in Columbus since November 18th of 2000, so 22 years ago was the last time Michigan won, and On that date, 22 years ago, Ohio State head coach Ryan Day, he was the starting quarterback at the University of New Hampshire under offensive coordinator Chip Kelly, who is now, of course, a head coach. He's been a head coach for a long time, currently coaches UCLA. 
Uh, back in 2000, uh, Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh was playing in the NFL for the San Diego Chargers at the time. Uh, Tom Brady has not; he had not yet made his NFL debut, all right, and he's been playing for you know a smooth hundred years. Uh, and then Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, he wasn't even born yet the last time Michigan won in Columbus. So that tells you how long it's been since Michigan has won in Columbus. So that was a huge win. You couple that Michigan win with uh, a big win by USC over Notre Dame, uh, TCU absolutely thumping Iowa State, and uh, Alabama just dismantling Auburn in the Iron Bowl. And now we have about the muddiest playoff picture you could have heading into conference championship weekend, right, uh, which is which is upon us. And um, so let's uh, take a look at the playoff rankings as they currently sit. I mentioned they were, they were muddy, right, and uh, we'll start off up top. Number one is the Georgia Bulldogs. They're 12-0. And uh, they are very clearly uh, the best team in the country, uh, in my opinion, uh, both both sides of the ball. They play in the SEC championship this weekend against LSU, who we thought that was going to be a good game in which LSU uh, may have potentially a chance based on how they've played this year. But after losing to Texas A&M, I don't think LSU is going to put up much of a fight. So I, I do see Georgia winning that game. The number two team in the rankings is Michigan. Uh, the Wolverines are also 12-0 after that big win we just talked about. They will play in the Big Ten championship game against Purdue, who uh, squeaked out a Big Ten West title. Uh, that game uh, should not be close. Uh, it's I think it's questionable right now if Purdue quarterback Aiden O'Connell is even going to play, so uh, Michigan should probably roll in that one. Number three in the playoff rankings is TCU. They moved up from four to three. They are 12-0. They play in the Big 12 championship game uh, against Kansas State, all right? And uh, Kansas State was was up on TCU earlier this year when they played. I think they had an 18-point lead, if I'm not mistaken, and TCU came back to win. Um, this game's a little tricky, all right? Uh, I think TCU's probably going to win, uh, but I, I certainly wouldn't be shocked if, if, T, uh, if uh, Kansas State ended up crash in TCU's party. Now, I'll get into this more in, in a minute. The number four team in the country is USC. They have moved up from five to four, right? And USC is the Pac-12, uh, one of the Pac-12 representatives in the Pac-12 championship game. They will be playing Utah, who, ironically enough, USC is 11-1. and one. Their only loss this year was in Utah. So they get a rematch with the only team that's beat them this year. So that will be a very interesting game. The number five team in the rankings is Ohio State. They're 11 and one. Of course, they were number two, fell down to five after that uh, demolition that Michigan put on them. Uh, they're currently the first team outside of the playoffs. So they're hoping for uh, one of those top four teams to lose. Uh, and again, more on that in a second. Number six is Alabama. They're 10 and two. All right. Uh, they somehow have squeezed back up into this top six, all right, which uh, anything can happen on conference championship Saturday. So it is not impossible for Alabama to make the playoffs, which uh, last episode I, I pretty much wrote them off. Uh, number seven is Tennessee. They're 10-2. and two. Uh, They are not playing in their conference championship, I mean, and neither is Alabama, 
All right. Uh, of course, neither is Ohio State. So Ohio State, Alabama, Tennessee, none of them are playing this weekend. All right. And uh, number eight is Penn State at 10 and 2. Number nine, Clemson, 10 and 2 uh, after they lost to South Carolina. And number 10 is Kansas State at 9 and 3. Now, that's important because they play TCU, like I mentioned. They're very capable of beating TCU. Now, I, I told you the SEC championship. I don't think if uh, if Georgia loses to LSU, uh, I do not believe that it would bump them out of the top four spots. So I do believe that Georgia is safe with a win or a loss this weekend. Michigan against Purdue, uh, I do not see uh, a way that Purdue wins this game, especially if Aiden O'Connell can't go. Uh, but with Michigan's win over Ohio State this past weekend, I don't see a situation in which a loss to Purdue would boot Michigan from the top four either. This is where it gets interesting, though, because TCU is sitting at number three. Uh, I do believe that um, the Big 12 championship does have the most ramifications, all right, because if TCU were to lose to Kansas State, I do think the committee would probably bump them out of the top four. Should they? Probably not. TCU has the the best strength of schedule among those top playoff teams. Uh, But uh, that this loss, uh, I think the committee is looking for a reason uh, to boot TCU uh, because we all know that the college football playoffs is all about money and marketing and TCU brings neither to the table. All right. They're not uh, they might be a great football program uh, this year, uh, but they are not going to bring in more money than uh, Alabama or Ohio State. All right, so I do believe, uh, which this shouldn't be the case. I believe that Georgia and Michigan are both safe if they lose. All right, coming in at twelve and zero this week. However, that standard is not the same for TCU. I do believe that if TCU loses, they will be replaced uh, by Ohio State who is the first team out. And then you go over to the Pac-12 championship. Utah's already beaten USC once. All right, that was in Utah at home uh, late at night. And uh, this game here, Pac-12 championship, is at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. So it's a neutral site. I think USC is going to win. Uh, Caleb Williams has been absolutely phenomenal. I think he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. He's all but secured that. Um, But... If USC were to lose, I, I you know I I think they get bumped potentially as well. All right, um, who knows? It just depends. That the the kicker is going to be TCU. I I certainly think based on what we've seen that uh, USC is probably one of the best four teams in the country with that offense. The defense has been playing well above what they were expected to, and then they're going to have the Heisman Trophy winner on offense. So. Um, I do believe USC is one of the top four teams. I Now, with Michigan and Ohio State, I, I think that they've both been overrated this entire year. The Big Ten has been really down this year uh, compared to previous years. Um, but I, I think Georgia and Michigan are safe. I do think TCU and USC uh, have, have a little bit to worry about, especially because their games are a little more challenging. And, uh, yeah, it's it, it just kind of a double standard for the Big 12 and the Pac-12 compared to uh, the SEC and the Big 10. Shouldn't exist, but it does because the playoff committee, they intentionally ranked Ohio State at 5 and Alabama at 6 uh, on purpose because if TCU loses and USC loses, 
it is entirely possible that Ohio State and Alabama climb up into that three and four spot, okay? Now, if one of those two, TCU or USC, lose, then I think certainly Ohio State squeaks in, all right? So um, we'll have to see. I mean, conference championship weekend is, is you know, obviously a, a huge weekend. These games this week really, in my opinion, should not count towards um, – you know, the overall findings of what the committee discusses, right? Like, if, if a team loses a conference championship, they shouldn't be docked necessarily unless they absolutely get blown out uh, by three or four touchdowns or more, all right? Um, I don't believe that they should be docked because the other teams sitting there on the edge, like Ohio State, Alabama, waiting to get in, they don't play this week. So their record is, is and resume is finalized, okay? So... Uh, that's just my personal opinion, but uh, that's not how the committee feels about it. They they value conference championships uh, quite a bit, and um, you know, they certainly help your resume. But uh, you know, a loss is going to hurt these at least the last uh, two teams in these rankings, particularly TCU and USC. It's going to hurt them way more than it would Georgia or Michigan, and that just simply shouldn't be the case. So uh, definitely uh, pay attention to the college football uh, scene this week with these conference championships. I do believe that um, we will see uh, one of those four teams lose, whether it be Georgia somehow against LSU. Uh, I just don't see Michigan losing. Uh, Georgia, TCU, and USC are probably one of the three teams that are are the likeliest to lose just based on, on their matchups. So, we will, uh, I, you know, I'll be tuned in all weekend to college football, at least on Saturday, uh, checking that out. And we will check back next week with the final playoff rankings, which will be set in stone uh, this upcoming Sunday, December the 4th. But we'll transition over to the National Football League and do a standings update here in the NFL. Uh, this past week was week 12, so we are through 12 weeks of the NFL season. We have six more weeks to go. Um, most teams have played either 11 or 12 games if they've not yet had a bye week. And this past week was special because it was Thanksgiving week uh, in the NFL, and we had three Thanksgiving Day games. The first one we had was uh, the morning game, which was the Buffalo Bills traveling to uh, Detroit to take on the Detroit Lions. That was a great game back and forth. Uh, the Lions ended up kicking a field goal to tie it with 23 seconds left, which apparently was too much time for Josh Allen and company. We've seen that story before. I think this was the second or third time this year they've uh, drove the field uh, in less than a minute to either tie or win the game. That's exactly what happened. Josh Allen uh, connected with Stefan Diggs on a 37-yard pass, and then they ran the ball a couple times, get him in field goal range, and Tyler Bass had a game-winning field goal as time expired. So, so close for the Lions, but uh, another uh, disappointing Thanksgiving defeat. The middle afternoon game was the New York Giants coming to Dallas to play my Dallas Cowboys, all right, here in Arlington. And uh, Dallas had the offensive explosion in Week 11 against Minnesota, putting up 40 points. But uh, they took the first half off in this one. Uh, they rallied, though, in the second half, beat the Giants 28-20. to Little window dressing there at the end. It was 28-14. Uh, 
or 28-13, and uh, New York scored a late touchdown in the last minute to uh, get them up to 20. Uh, not only did this game feature the best touchdown celebration I've ever seen, uh, with the trio of Cowboys tight ends doing the whack-a-mole uh, celebration in the uh, Salvation Army Red Kettle, uh, it, it averaged uh, the game itself averaged 42 million viewers across TV and digital networks, which made it the most watched NFL regular season game of all time. So, uh, very interesting. It was a good game. Um, Cowboys came back, rallied, and um, yeah, just a, a huge win for Dallas. Divisional win, uh, super important, especially against a team that was breathing down their neck. And um, yeah, big win for the Cowboys there. The, the uh, nightcap on Thanksgiving was the New England Patriots uh, at the Minnesota Vikings. Okay, Minnesota looked much better than they did in Week 11 after getting blasted by the Cowboys, uh, which that game had everybody questioning the validity of Minnesota's 8-2 and record going into this game. Uh, but Minnesota came out and uh, played really well on both sides of the ball. Ended up getting the W, beating Bill Belichick uh, in a primetime game. And in that game, Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson set an all-time NFL record for the most receiving yards in a player's first three seasons with 4,248. And he's not done, of course. He's got five more games to play. So uh, in my opinion, he is the best wide receiver in the league. Uh, we got some good ones, right? Stephon Diggs, Tyree Kill come to mind. Devontae Adams is up there, uh, but Jay Jettis, man, he he just, you know, with Kirk Cousins as his quarterback, uh, continues to just completely dominate and be matchup proof, and some of the catches he makes are just absolute circus catches, so um, that, that was a pretty entertaining Thanksgiving day, and um, that brings us to the standings updates. We'll start off in the AFC, the AFC East. Miami Dolphins are up top there at 8-3. and three. They're actually tied record-wise with Buffalo, um, but uh, Miami has the tie break on that. Both of those teams, I think, are solidly in the playoffs. Uh, Mike McDaniel's done a hell of a job with the Dolphins this year. Tua has really developed into a, a upper echelon NFL quarterback, especially with the weapons he has. And then, of course, the Bills are the Bills. Um, they didn't look great against Detroit uh, or the week before, but um, you know they're they're still you wouldn't want to play them uh, certainly not in a, a winner take all playoff game so uh, they're going to be hanging around for a while. The New York Jets uh, they're seven and four. This division's super competitive. All right, uh, the Jets uh, they ended up uh, winning this past week on the arm of Mike White. All right, Zach Wilson was benched. Mike White comes in and provides a spark, and the Jets get the win to move up to seven and four. And then you have the New England Patriots sitting there at six and five, still very much in the wild card mix. Uh, they play Buffalo this week, big game for them. Over in the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals are both seven and four. Now I mentioned last week that Baltimore had entered the chat as one of the top teams in the AFC, and then they proceed to lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay, um, on a last last minute drive. Um, and with a two-point conversion, mind you. So, yeah, the Ravens are still really good. And again, with that offense uh, you, you, and defense, really, you, you wouldn't want to play them in a, in a playoff game, but it, it does appear Baltimore is headed for the playoffs. 
Same with Cincinnati. They started the year 0-2. They're now 7-2 and in their last nine games. So they've got it turned around. Uh, Joe Mixon didn't play this past week. He should hopefully be back this week. But, um, again, that division's up for grabs because you have Cleveland and uh, Pittsburgh. The Browns and the Steelers are both 4-7. and seven. I don't think the Steelers, they, they would be doing really good to get uh, uh, up to 500. Uh, and then you have the Cleveland Browns. They are getting quarterback Deshaun Watson back this week. He is set to start. So, uh, you know, they didn't really tread water with Jacoby Brissett. I mean, I guess they kind of did. They're 4-7, and seven, which is maybe a little better than you would have expected through 11 games without Deshaun Watson, but he is returning this week. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Cleveland went on a little run, if Watson can be the quarterback that we've seen him be. Over in the AFC South, the Tennessee Titans are 7-4, and four, uh, and they all but have this division wrapped up because the Colts, they're, uh, the Indianapolis Colts are 4-7-1. and one. They lost on Monday Night Football to Pittsburgh this past week, and then they come down to Dallas this week to play uh, that feisty Cowboys team that nobody wants to play. So uh, Colts uh, are, are probably not catching Tennessee. And then you have the Jacksonville Jaguars somehow squeaking out a win against Baltimore to move up to 4-7. and seven. And then you have the Houston Texans. Uh, they're 1-9-1, and one. and I think it's pretty safe to say Houston you are now on the clock. Uh, over in the AFC West, Kansas City Chiefs with another impressive victory there this week. They've won five in a row. They're up to nine and two. Certainly, uh, in my opinion, right now, the best team in the AFC. Um, certainly, Obviously, record-wise, they are. They're a game ahead of, of Buffalo, even though Buffalo beat them. The way Patrick Mahomes is playing, uh, Travis Kelsey, that, those guys are cheat codes. And uh, they're three games in front of the Los Angeles Chargers, who are six and five. Okay, Chargers, um, you know, they, they, they squeaked out a win this week, too. Uh, Keenan Allen's back. I think Mike Williams, not sure on his status this week. But uh, the Chargers just, they play in the AFC, and uh, 500 or slightly above is, is, may not get you a playoff spot this year. So uh, keep an eye on L.A. to see if they can put a little run together. The Vegas Raiders, they're four and seven, uh, had an overtime win this week on the heels of 300 total scrimmage yards from Josh Jacobs. Just an incredible week for him. Uh, if you had him on your fantasy team, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, again, Vegas, you know, uh, they started out really poor. Uh, they've put a little good little streak here together, playing well in a couple weeks, getting a couple wins, but they're still. Uh, five games behind Kansas City, and they're still a few games out of the wild card, so I don't see them making the playoffs. And then the Denver Broncos, just still hot, putrid trash. They're 3-8. and eight. We got defensive linemen getting in the face of Russell Wilson, screaming at him, telling him how bad he is. Uh, the Broncos have still scored the fewest amount of points in the NFL by 30. It's really not even close. So that uh, that team is an absolute dumpster fire. Over in the NFC, the NFC East, Philadelphia Eagles are 10-1. and one, all right? They uh, have a two-game lead on the Dallas Cowboys, who are 8-3. and three. All right? Cowboys got a good little schedule here coming up the next three weeks against uh, Indianapolis, Houston, and Jacksonville. Certainly three winnable games. Uh, if Philadelphia can manage to lose a game here in the next couple of weeks, this division could get very interesting before these two teams meet on Christmas Eve here in a few weeks. 
New York Giants are 7-4 and four after their loss to Dallas on Thanksgiving. And then the Washington Commanders at 7-5. and five. Now, interesting thing about this, Commanders won again this week. Uh, Taylor Heineke just continues to win. Commanders have won three in a row. And um, this entire NFC East division is in the playoffs if they were to start today. Eagles would be the number one seed. And then the Cowboys, Giants, and Commanders all currently sit in uh, the three wild card spots. Now, I'm not sure if this has ever been done before or uh, if it has when the last time it was done, uh, all four teams from one division making the playoffs. Uh, well, actually, it probably hasn't because uh, the seventh uh, seventh playoff team was just added last year, I think. So uh, we've not seen one complete division in the NFL ever make the playoffs all in the same year, which like I said, as it sits now, that's certainly the case in the NFC with the NFC East. So uh, keep an eye on that. I think, obviously, the Eagles are in. Cowboys are going to be in. We'll see on the Giants and Commanders. But my goodness, talk about uh, dominating the NFC there. Over in the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings are 9-2. and two. They got a pretty good lock on this division. They are five games in front of the Detroit Lions, who are 4-7. and seven. Lost on Thanksgiving, like I mentioned. Uh, close, heartbreaking loss there for Detroit. That ended their three-game winning streak. Uh, Green Bay Packers took another loss this week. They're four and eight. All right, Aaron Rodgers got hurt. We'll see what his status is uh, coming into this week. And then the Chicago Bears. They are uh, they're three and nine. They're looking uh, likely for a top five pick as well. Justin Fields didn't play this past week. Not sure what his status is this week. Over in the NFC South. Tampa Bay, but this division is not even worth talking about. Like I said, Tampa Bay Buccaneers five and six, Atlanta Falcons five and seven, and then the Carolina Panthers and New Orleans Saints are four and eight. Panthers have the tiebreak over New Orleans, so New Orleans is technically in the last place in that division. Somebody's got to win that division, okay? And it's just like uh, it doesn't matter, you know. Who who do you pick? I mean, Tampa with Tom Brady, sure, but Atlanta keeps winning. And here you have Carolina and New Orleans at four and eight, and they're only one game out of the division lead. I mean, that is just preposterous. Um, over in the NFC West, San Francisco 49ers, they're seven and four. All right. They have uh, won four games in a row, all four games since acquiring Christian McCaffrey. I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, this team has gotten healthier, and they are probably the most dangerous team in the NFC, in my opinion. Uh, in a one-game, winner-take-all playoff game, San Francisco is probably the last team that I would want to play. Uh, they have a terrific offense with exceptional skill players, and then their defense is just flat-out nasty. Uh, they uh, haven't allowed a second-half touchdown in, like, the last couple games, right? So it's it's been... It's been uh, tough sledding for anybody playing San Francisco. Uh, would not surprise me one bit if San Francisco ended up uh, as the the team representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but that team is potent. So Seattle six and five. Um, they you know I'm not sure if their magic has run out yet, but they're still very much hanging around the wild card spot. They're just a game out. Arizona Cardinals, their season not gone the way it was planned after giving Kyler Murray all that money. They're four and eight. 
and the Los Angeles Rams. Talk about a dumpster fire. They won the Super Bowl just uh, nine months ago, and here they are 11 games into this season. They're 3-8, and eight, and they are absolutely horrible. Uh, they, I'm not sure how many more games they're going to win this year, to be honest with you, because if you watch them play, Matt Stafford's been hurt. Cooper Cup's out. Uh, might not come back this year. Same with Stafford. I mean, he's dealing with back-to-back concussion protocol incidents. So, you know, if if neither of those guys plays another game, this team probably isn't going to win more than one game the rest of the year. But um, that's how it currently shakes out. Got some good games this week. And, uh, you know, NFL is rocking and rolling. We'll probably transition to uh, some wild card standings, some playoff standings, maybe starting next week instead of doing a full-blown um, standings update just to kind of condense it down as we're getting towards the end of the year. So uh, just keep an eye on that. But uh, either way, we'll check back in uh, next week and see uh, what the standings look like then. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League, do a standings update here in the NHL. Uh, most teams have played uh, between... Uh, 22 to 24 games so we are officially past the quarter mark of the NHL season um, still got a lot of hockey left so we'll uh, we'll make these pretty brief the Eastern Conference Metropolitan Division the New Jersey Devils are 19 and four all right they just continue to play really good hockey they've won nine out of their last 10 after uh, going on that. 13 game winning streak. New York Islanders are 15 and 9. Carolina Hurricanes 12, 6, and 5. Pittsburgh Penguins, they're 11, 8, and 4. They're going to be without defenseman Chris Letang for uh, probably the rest of the year. Uh, Letang actually suffered a stroke here this week, which uh, is, is very surprising. Um, prayers go out to him for uh, a full recovery on that, but. It's doubtful we'll see Chris Letang this year. Peng, uh, Penguins are 11-8-4. A fifth place in the Metropolitan Division, New York Rangers, 11-9-4. Then the Washington Capitals are sixth in that division at 10-11-3. A little disappointing year. Uh, Alex Ovechkin became the NHL's all-time leader in road goals, goals being scored on the road with 403, passing Wayne Gretzky in that area. He's also chasing Gretzky's all-time goals record, which I believe realistically the soonest he could do that would be uh, next year potentially or the year after that. Uh, Philadelphia Flyers are 8, 10, and 5, and then the Columbus Blue Jackets are 7, 12, and 2. They are just uh, not great. Over in the Atlantic Division, the Boston Bruins are 19-3. and I mean, that record is just absolutely insane. They are, they've won nine out of their last ten. They're 13-0 at home, okay, uh, which is the longest win streak to start, uh, longest home win streak to start a season in NHL history, okay. That, they've played a lot, you know, they've played, uh, 22 games, and 13 of them have been at home. So uh, they've played more home than road, but they've won every single home game they've played, which is just very impressive. Uh, they uh, clearly look like the best team in the Eastern Conference at the moment. I do think we'll see New Jersey. Uh, their record's up there, too. They're 19-4. and four. 
but I just I don't believe in New Jersey the way that I do believe in Boston to sustain um, at least this somewhat of this success. Uh, this isn't sustainable all year long, but um, again, both of those teams have, have played really well. Toronto is second in the Atlantic Division. The Maple Leafs are 15-5-5. Five, and five. Uh, They have won eight out of their last ten, including five in a row. Tampa Bay Lightning are 13-8-1. The Detroit Red Wings still hanging around that four spot. They are 11-6-5. And And the Florida Panthers, 10-9-4. Montreal Canadiens, 11-10-1. The Buffalo Sabres, 10-12-1. And And then the Ottawa Senators are... 8-13-1. They are one of only, uh, well, there's there's six teams in the NHL that that do not have 10 wins yet. Um, Two of them are in the East and four of them are in the West. So Ottawa is one of those teams. Over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, my Dallas Stars, they are 13-6-4. All right, they are up top in the Central. Um... They've, generally speaking, they have been a really good team this year. They've had some bad games. Uh, Jake Ottinger has had a he had a rough week this past week, but uh, Dallas has went on a seven game point streak uh, that went from last week into this week before finally getting snapped in uh, Colorado earlier this week. So, but Dallas is they are surprising me. Um, they ended up giving uh, Rope Hintz a contract extension the other day, eight years, $67.6 million. So that's about $8.45 million a year. Rope Hintz, I believe he's only 24, and uh, he is just a great young talent at that center position, and stars have him locked up for the next eight years. So I think it was a great signing. He's a key piece to Dallas's future moving forward. Him and Jason Robertson, who leads the NHL in goals right now, has a 16-game point streak, which is the longest point streak in Dallas Stars history. So uh, Stars are playing really well. they got some great young goal scorers, and uh, I'm excited to see how far Dallas can go. I'm really hoping that that midseason slump doesn't hit them like it does every year, uh, but we'll see. Uh, second in the Central is the Winnipeg Jets. They're 14-6-1. and one. Uh, My former high school teammate, Connor Hellebuck, goalie for the Winnipeg Jets, he um, he's putting up another Vesna type season. He won the Vesna I think two years ago, and he is uh, looking like he's on track to win that bad boy again because uh, his numbers this year are just absolutely insane. He Winnipeg's roster is really not uh, the second best roster in this division, uh, but they are the second best team thus far this season in this division, and uh, he is a big reason why. Colorado Avalanche are twelve seven and one. And the defending Stanley Cup champions still in there. Minnesota Wild, they're 10-9-2, all right? And they made a trade this past week. They went out and acquired big forward Ryan Reeves from the New York Rangers in exchange for a fifth-round pick in next summer's draft. So I think that's a good, um, you know, he's the equivalent of a power forward in basketball. Um, he's a big dude, not going to score many goals, but he's a good physical presence and, um He's definitely somebody you want on your side. Uh, the Nashville Predators are 10-9 and 2. They've kind of slowly crept up a little bit. St. Louis Blues are 11 and 11. 
Arizona Coyotes, 7-10-3. And the Chicago Blackhawks are 6-11-1. All right, they have only won one game in their last 10 uh, and just um, not not playing great. I think this is Patrick Kane does not make it through this season without being traded. Over in the Pacific Division of the Western Conference, the Vegas Golden Knights are 17-6-1. They have kind of cooled off a little bit. They've played 500 hockey over their last 10 games. The Seattle Kraken, uh, one of the hottest teams in the league right now. They're on a six-game win streak. They've won eight out of their last 10. They're 14-5-3, all right? And uh, they won a game the other night. Uh, nine to eight against the Los Angeles Kings, who are third in this division at twelve nine and four. Uh, that game was an absolute gong show. Nine to eight. All right, that just doesn't happen in hockey. All right, but that's what it was. So L.A. is three. Edmonton Oilers are twelve and ten. Calgary Flames are ten nine and three. Vancouver Canucks nine eleven and three. San Jose Sharks, 8-14-4, and, and the Anaheim Ducks, 6-15-2. All right, so Arizona, Chicago, Vancouver, San Jose, and Anaheim, five teams in the Western Conference with only single-digit wins and two in the Eastern Conference. So there's seven total teams in the NHL that have failed to win 10 games thus far through 22-24 to 24 games. So, uh, again, very early in the NHL season, um, some good hockey being played, some teams surprising us, like we've talked about, teams that uh, uh, wouldn't have been expected to be as good as they are, but uh, they're definitely playing like that. And um, we will check back in next week and see how the standings look then. But we'll move over to the NBA, do a standings update here. And um, we're about 22 to 24 games into the regular season, so... Uh, right around where the NHL is in their season, quarter of the way through the, the schedule here in the NBA. We'll start off in the Eastern Conference. The Boston Celtics are up top. They're 18-4. and four. Uh, They've won five in a row, nine out of their last ten, looking really good. Uh, they're 11-1 and one at home this year, which is, is very impressive, very similar to the uh, Boston Bruins of the NHL that we just talked about. Their home record is, is perfect through 13 games. And uh, Boston looks like they're certainly on track to uh, contend for that Eastern Conference title that they are trying to defend this year. Big reason why is Jason Tatum. That guy's been on another level. He certainly has worked his way into the MVP conversation up there with Luka Doncic. Uh, but Celtics look very good so far. Milwaukee Bucks are 15-5. and five. Uh, They've won three in a row. <clears throat> Cleveland Cavaliers are 14-8. and eight. Indiana Pacers, 12-9. and nine. Uh, They've won seven out of their last ten. So, too, have the Philadelphia 76ers, who are at 12-10. and 10. Atlanta Hawks are 12-10 and 10 as well. Those are the top six teams in the East. Number seven, the Toronto Raptors at 11-10. and 10. Number eight uh, is the Brooklyn Nets, all right? They've won three in a row, starting to get things turned around a little bit. Eight is still way too low for that team. Uh, but uh, they're they're slowly starting to climb back up. Washington Wizards are eleven and eleven. New York Knicks are ten and twelve. Those are the top ten teams in the East. Number eleven, the Miami Heat, still disappointing thus far this year. Uh, they're ten and twelve. Uh, Chicago Bulls nine and twelve. Uh, 
Then the Charlotte Hornets are six and fifteen. Uh, Orlando Magic five and seventeen, and the Detroit Pistons five and eighteen. Now the Magic, uh, they and the Pistons both have only won twice in their last ten games. The Magic are riding a six-game losing streak currently. Pistons riding a three-game losing streak. I would certainly expect both of those teams to contend for that top overall lottery pick in the uh, Victor Wembenyama sweepstakes that I keep talking about. Then over in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns have made their way into that top spot. They're 15-6. and six. They've won six in a row, seven out of their last ten. Devin Booker had a 50-point night the other night. Uh, guy is just uh, a great shooter. That team is, is very good, certainly going to be near the top, uh, assuming health for the team. Uh, the Suns are going to be up there near the top when this thing's all said and done. Denver Nuggets are right behind them at 14-7. and seven. They've won four in a row. The New Orleans Pelicans looking really good. They're 13-8. and eight. They have won seven out of their last ten. They're also a very good home team, just like Phoenix. Phoenix is 12-1 and one at home. Uh, up there with with Boston for the best home record in the league, and New Orleans is is right behind them there. They're eight and three at home. The Memphis Grizzlies are twelve and nine. Um, they, uh, you know, don't have John Morant for a few weeks. We talked about that last week. Los Angeles Clippers thirteen and ten, and the Sacramento Kings are sixth at eleven and nine. They've won seven out of their last ten. Seventh place in the Eastern Conference, the Utah Jazz. They're 13-11. and 11. Uh, They've only won three times in their last 10. Eighth place in the Western Conference currently are my Dallas Mavericks at 10-10. and 10. They had a little bit of a skid here uh, over this past week. Lost a few games in a row. Uh, Luke is still doing what he's doing. He's leading the MVP conversation right now. Had a 40-point triple-double the other night against Golden State in that victory at home. That guy is just, uh, uh, if he's if he's not the very best player in the NBA right now, this moment, uh, he's certainly uh, 1B. Uh, but the Mavericks, they ended up signing guard uh, Kemba Walker to their, to their team. Uh, Kemba Walker, obviously, he's a veteran. He's a four-time All-Star. But he's 32 years old, and he's had a slew of knee injuries here recently. He just can't get over. Uh, but I, I don't expect Walker to play more than you know 10 to 12 minutes a night probably on nights that he's playing well you know maybe he'll get up to the 20 minute mark but uh, they Mavericks signed Walker to address the glaring need they have for an additional playmaker in that offense behind Luka Doncic and Spencer Dinwiddie so I do believe that once Walker gets up to speed uh, and gets uh, in in game shape and, and ready to go I think he'll be a great addition to the Mavericks that that could prove huge, uh, more so towards the end of the year. Uh, but the Golden State Warriors, they're ninth in the Western Conference at 11 and 11. It's still uh, like Brooklyn, a uh, very disappointing season thus far. They're you know hanging around that um, eight to ten range so far through 22 games. Uh, very disappointing considering that roster. Uh, the Warriors are nine and one at home. Two and ten on the road, so that discrepancy is something that they need to uh, fix if they want to uh, get up into those top few spots there in the West where they've sat for the last uh, five to seven years. Minnesota Timberwolves are tenth in the West at eleven and eleven. 
All right, uh, they have won six out of their last ten, but they got some bad news. Carl Anthony Towns, their best player, he's out four to six weeks with a right calf strain. All right, so they're going to be missing him. That's a, obviously an integral piece of that team. And assuming the recovery goes well from that strain, Carl uh, Anthony Towns should be back sometime in January. All right, so keep an eye on how Minnesota fares over the next month, month and a half. Uh, that could really define their season uh, and, and either keep them in the playoff mix and, or really kind of make it difficult for them to climb back into it. Portland Trailblazers are also 11-11. and 11. Uh, They've only won twice in their last 10, currently on a three-game losing streak. And then the Oklahoma City Thunder, 9-13. and 13. The Los Angeles Lakers at 8-12. and 12. They still can't get anything figured out. All right, they, um, they might be the most surprising teams in terms uh, of disappointment. But uh, Lakers, nowhere near a playoff spot at the moment. San Antonio Spurs are 6-16. Six and 16. They've only won once in their last 10, losing streak of nine games currently. And then the Houston Rockets are 5-16. and 16. All right, so uh, the top overall pick, uh, at least a quarter of the way through the season, looks like it's going to belong to either um, Detroit, Orlando, San Antonio, or Houston, which are the teams that we did expect to be uh, in contention for that top lottery pick. So, uh, a lot of basketball to be played. Again, we're NBA is pretty much right on track with where the NHL is in terms of games played, maybe a game or two behind uh, their overall season. But, um, you know, still a lot of basketball to be played. These standings will constantly be moving, uh, have some injuries to some major players uh, around the NBA, and um, we will keep you up to speed through the NBA season as we get through it. But we'll move over to the PGA Tour. Now, we normally start the show with this segment, and I I mentioned last week that we wouldn't have any golf to discuss for a while because the next PGA Tour event is the Century Tournament of Champions, which is the first week of January. So, uh, But this weekend's tournament uh, is not a PGA Tour-sanctioned event per se, uh, but it is comprised of uh, all PGA Tour players. So... Uh, I wanted to preview it because it's just simply too good to pass up. So uh, this tournament does not count in the FedEx Cup standings, but it does count for uh, World Cup, I mean, World Rankings update, uh, points updates, right? So players can either increase or decrease their world, world ranking in the official World Golf Ranking based on how they perform in this tournament. Uh, the tournament is the Hero World Challenge. All right, it is at the Albany Golf Club in New Providence, Bahamas. All right, so it's nice and sunny and warm there in the Bahamas. It's a par seventy-two, distance seven thousand four hundred forty-nine yards. Pretty long course. All right, uh, Tiger Woods is the sponsor of this tournament. The course itself was designed by uh, former and I guess current golfer Ernie Els plays on the on the Senior Tour. This is the seventh time that this course has played host to the Hero World Challenge. It's got five par fives and five par threes, which is a little unique. It's a link-style course, right? But uh, being uh, in the Bahamas, you got a lot of windswept dunes. we got some strategic water hazards, plenty of water, in fact, uh, being there in the Bahamas. And four of the last five winners of this tournament have finished at exactly 18 under par. So if you're Keeping track at home for a winning score, I think 18 under par would be uh, something to look out for. Uh, That would be 
what the golfers are probably shooting for because that has been the winning score uh, 80% of the last five tournaments. The field is absolutely incredible for this thing. Uh, they don't call it the Hero World Challenge for nothing. Uh, interesting thing about this tournament, it's a very limited field of only 20 golfers, and it's 20 of the very best golfers in the world. All right, I normally talk about a few of the golfers that are playing, so I'll just go ahead and mention all 20 since it's not really that many. Uh, the 20 golfers you will see out there this week, Scotty Scheffler, Xander Schauffele, John, uh, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Jordan Spieth, Tony Finau, Tom Kim, Matt Fitzpatrick, Sam Burns, Shane Lowry, Tommy Fleetwood, Corey Connors, Max Homa, Sung J.M., Cameron Young, Billy Horschel, Kevin Kisner. Now, Tiger Woods was supposed to be in the field. All right, he's hosting it. He was supposed to be the 20th player in the field, but he actually withdrew earlier this week due to some plantar fasciitis in his right foot. All right, uh, he was replaced in the field by Sepp Straka, Tiger Woods will probably still uh, be around there. He did say that he still plans to play in the match uh, on December 10th that I previewed a couple episodes ago. Uh, and then he'll also play in the PNC Championship with his son Charlie here in a couple of weeks. But uh, again, no FedEx Cup points up for grabs, but there are World Cup uh, World Ranking points that are going to be awarded. It is a no-cut event, so all 20 golfers that start are also going to finish, assuming no withdrawals or injuries. So, um, again, I didn't, you know, it's just a tournament I wanted to preview just because of the high-level golfers that are going to be in there. You'll notice that that field, it's pretty much a majority of the top 20 in the official world golf rankings. Um, the only big name that I can think of that won't be there is uh, Rory McIlroy. But uh, everybody else up there, a lot of President's Cup representation there from both teams. And uh, it's, it's going to be a great tournament. Again, 18 under par is, has won for the last five years. So um, with, with conference championships uh, in college football and, you know, of course, the NFL going on Sunday, not sure how much of this tournament I'll actually catch. I'm going to try to catch some just because, again, it's going to be some very, very high-level golf. And... Um, you know, it's it's weird to, to hit golf in the middle of the of the episode, but uh, I think that's probably what we'll do at least until the football season finishes out. Is uh, we'll we'll continue to start off with uh, with football and uh, do our our major standings updates before we hit golf. So, uh, but we will check back in on the next episode and see how the Hero World Challenge played out. But we'll move over to our segment called Around the Island, and that is where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Uh, Only have information to cover from Major League Baseball and college football, and there's quite a bit to get into in college football. So we'll start off in Major League Baseball. Uh, Only trade that happened, of course, we're still uh, right smack dab in the middle of the offseason for the MLB and uh, hot stove season, a lot of free agents, a lot of trades going down. The only trade um, that was noteworthy, the Los Angeles Angels, they went out and they acquired outfielder Hunter Renfro from the Milwaukee Brewers in exchange for three pitchers. Uh, Trade is certainly going to be more impactful for the Angels. Renfro is a pretty solid uh, role player in the outfield, can play all three positions out there and um, will more than likely start for the Angels uh, opposite um, Mike Trout and Joe Adele, uh, but he's a good, uh, a good, uh, I guess, utility player 
uh, in, in baseball. So I uh, just thought that was noteworthy. Some free agent signings. The biggest one we had came via the Houston Astros. They made a big splash. They got their main target, and that was first baseman Jose Abreu, formerly of the Chicago White Sox. The Astros signed Jose Abreu three years and $60 million, right? Abreu is a three-time All-Star, and he was the 2019 American League MVP with the White Sox. Moves into a very deadly and potent Houston Astros lineup where he'll probably hit third or fourth, uh, right next to Jordan Alvarez, and uh, in a hitter-friendly park, too. So uh, I would expect Abreu to have uh, a big couple of years there in Houston. Uh, White Sox, uh, they signed pitcher start, uh, starting pitcher Mike Clevenger. One-year contract uh, was 4-4 four and four this past year, uh, or 7-7, seven and seven, I think, with a four-point-something ERA there with the Padres. Not a great pitcher, probably an end-of-the-rotation guy there in Chicago behind uh, Dylan Cease and company, but um, just thought that was noteworthy. And then the last one, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they signed first baseman Carlos Santana to a one-year $6.7 million deal. Now, Santana was traded to the Seattle Mariners at the trade deadline last year, and he was wanting a bit more money than what Seattle was willing to pay. So uh, with the acquisitions that Seattle's made to their lineup this offseason so far, um, Santana really didn't have a role, so uh, he opted to sign for Pittsburgh and play for money instead of the chance to compete for a World Series title. Uh, Some other baseball news, Philadelphia Phillies outfielder Bryce Harper. He underwent Tommy John surgery in his right elbow, kind of kept him out for a little bit last uh, season. Surgery apparently went well, and uh, Bryce Harper could be back as soon as mid-May, All right, which puts us about a month and a half into the new season. Uh, Certainly not uh, as long of a recovery time as, as a pitcher takes from Tommy John, but it is still his throwing elbow, so... Uh, Phillies probably want to tread lightly on that. So, um, but I wouldn't expect to see Bryce Harper anytime uh, before uh, May. And then finally, the Toronto Blue Jays, they have hired Don Mattingly as their new bench coach. Of course, Don Mattingly has been the manager of the Miami Marlins the last few years. He got fired uh, a couple months ago there towards the end of the season. Um, Good, uh, good veteran coach there to uh, help the Blue Jays out. And that uh, Blue Jays look to make the next step this year after getting booted in the wild card series this year against uh, Seattle. But uh, over in college football, all right, we've had a few uh, notable head coaching hires. All right, a couple of them came out of the Big Ten. First one was the University of Nebraska. Cornhuskers have hired Matt Rule as their new head coach. All right, the Huskers finished 4-8 and eight this year. They fired Scott Frost three games into the season. It just wasn't working out. Went on to go 4-8. Uh, and eight. Now, if you remember, Matt Rule started the year this year as the Carolina Panthers head coach in the NFL. Got fired back in October. Uh, he's in his third year. He went 11-27 and 27 with the team. Not great. Uh, but Matt Rule has been a very successful college head coach. Uh, he previously coached Temple and Baylor. He got Temple up to 10-2 and two in just his third season. All right, And then that next year he took Temple to their, their first conference championship uh, since 1967. Got hired over at Baylor, took over a 
horrible Baylor program. He went 1-11 his first year, but just two years later, Baylor was up to 11-3 and and competing for the Big 12 championship. So um, then he got hired in the NFL, all right? So uh, my point in saying all that is to say that Matt Rule has a proven track record of turning around two bad college programs in a short period of time. And as it currently sits now, Nebraska is a terrible program that is in need of a massive overhaul. So I do think Matt Rule is probably uh, a great hire by Nebraska. Nebraska does play in the Big Ten West, which is by far the weaker of the two divisions in that conference. So with some good recruiting and uh, some crashing of the old transfer portal, I think Nebraska could probably compete for uh, the Big Ten West title and a trip to uh, the Big Ten title game quicker than we would have probably thought with another head coaching hire. Uh, wouldn't surprise me to see Nebraska uh, representing the Big Ten West in the Big Ten title game within the next two to three years. Now, uh, that's going to take uh, some heavy-duty recruiting by Matt Rule, but this guy's proven he can do it. He's done it with two other programs, right? And he does have some talent to work with there at Nebraska. Um, the history there obviously makes it somewhat of an appealing place to play for a college player, so... I bet they'll be pretty active on the transfer portal to get Matt Rule in there, and who knows what could happen with Nebraska. But the other Big Ten school to hire a new head coach was the University of Wisconsin. Uh, The Badgers have hired Luke Fickle as their new head coach. Now, Fickle has widely been considered uh, the best group of five coach over the past few seasons, coaching at Cincinnati over in the American Athletic Conference. And in his six seasons with the Bearcats, Luke Fickle went 57-18, and including last year's perfect 13-0 season that netted them a trip to the college football playoffs. Uh, that made Cincinnati the very first group of five team to enter the college football playoffs since those started. Uh, they did get beat pretty good by Alabama in that playoff game, but still quite the accomplishment for Luke Fickle and the Bearcats. Cincinnati's been relevant uh, for the last, you know, two to three years specifically, and that is mainly due to Luke Fickle and his ability to coach the players and and, um, just recruit uh, some good talent there to come to Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, I just, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a fantastic hire for Wisconsin. Wisconsin's usually a pretty good team in the Big Ten, and they can draw some pretty uh, some pretty hefty recruits. A lot of kids want to play for Luke Fickle, so I think that's going to translate over to uh, Wisconsin. And I'm willing to bet that uh, we see some Cincinnati players transfer over to Wisconsin in order to continue to play for Luke Fickle. He's just one of those coaches that uh, you know has got it going on. You know, he's he's kind of the next uh, up-and-coming good college coach, and uh, this is his first uh, legitimate big uh, program that he's taking over. He made Cincinnati uh, a big program, but now he's walking into a big program. Wouldn't shock me at all to see Luke Fickle have some immediate success in the Big Ten, and they play in the Big Ten West as well. Uh, so he'll, he'll be competing with Matt Rule. But um, I do think Luke Fickle's set up nicely there at Wisconsin. Uh, Coaching hire in the SEC, notable Auburn University. Uh, The Tigers, they have hired Hugh Freeze as their next head coach. Now, Hugh Freeze spent the last four years as the head coach at Liberty. This will actually be 
uh, Hugh Freeze's second head coaching stint in the SEC. He was the head coach of Ole Miss back from 2012 to 2016. In that time frame, he beat Nick Saban's Alabama teams two years in a row, both in 2014 and 2015. And then he won the 2015 Sugar Bowl. All right, he had to resign from Auburn and uh, or from um, Ole Miss in 2017 uh, after he got caught up in some um, some scandals there, uh, personal conduct policy type scandals. So forced him to resign. I think he was out of football for uh, a year or so. Maybe got hired at Liberty and uh, has has made them somewhat more relevant than they have been. But over the past, I thought this was interesting. Over the past 12 years, Auburn has won a national championship back in 2010 and played for another national championship in 2013. And in that time frame, only five other schools can make that same claim of uh, appearing in two national title games, winning one, uh, winning at least one of them. And those schools are Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State. Okay, so three of those are SEC schools along with Auburn, right? And uh, then, of course, you have Ohio State and Clemson, who have been very good here as of late. But uh, interestingly enough, though, having said all of that, Hugh Freeze is Auburn's third head coach in the last four seasons, all right? So uh, they can't find the right fit, and uh, they're hoping that Hugh Freeze can be that guy, certainly paying him like he like he is. But we'll have to see on that. Um, and from those coaching hires we just talked about, we had one step down or resign from his position this past week, and that was Stanford head coach David Shaw. He has officially resigned from his coaching position, which is effective immediately after their 36-25 to loss to BYU this past Saturday. David Shaw, he spent 12 years as Stanford's head coach, uh, coached Andrew Luck, you know, had some very good Stanford teams along the way. They've been kind of in the dumps the last couple of years. But uh, David Shaw is the uh, winningest head coach in Stanford history with an overall record of 96-54. and 54. Uh, He's coming off of back-to-back three and nine seasons, like I mentioned, just been very bad as of late, and a 14-28 and record since the start of the 2019 season. So not very good. Stanford's definitely fallen off the wagon in terms of Uh, Pac-12 contenders, Uh, but it's still a very appealing job, uh, right? Obviously, a terrific uh, academic school, terrific. Stanford's usually pretty solid in most sports, so uh, it's a a great place. Uh, You know, the allure of getting a a degree from Stanford while being an athlete certainly is appealing to these uh, high school uh, football players, so uh, it's a very appealing job. It's going to be interesting to see who they hire. All right, it's a high-profile university, uh, and uh, they sh- they should get some pretty good names in the hat for that one. And then the last piece of college football news uh, is some pretty big news, actually, and that is the fact that the Rose Bowl has signed a new deal in which they agreed to alter their current contract in order f- to allow college football playoff expansion starting in 2024. Okay, they were the last uh, remaining holdup for this. Uh, proposed playoff expansion to 12 teams uh, to take place, right? Uh, But this new deal that the Rose Bowl signed now clears the path for the full-blown playoff expansion to 12 teams 
in 2024 and 2025. Now, it could potentially expand to 16 teams in 2026, but as of now, with this news of the Rose Bowl signing this new contract, it does appear that uh, the college football playoff expansion uh, will happen 12 teams starting in 2024. But um, that's going to wrap up the 99th episode of the Sports Island podcast. Another good one. Have a lot of good football to talk about uh, uh, next week. And, um, you know, golf tournament going on. Of course, baseball in the offseason with uh, plenty of news there. And, um, you know, just a lot of stuff going on in the sports world, particularly this week, college football, championship weekend, some good NFL football. So I'll be plugged into that all week, maybe catch some of that Hero World Challenge. But either way, we will check back in next episode and discuss all of the new news and updates from across the sporting world. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.